This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Now on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. Presented by the Law Offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. This is The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause. We thank everybody for being here as we transition into the end of the year, 2022. Uh, and it's our President's Hour today, J. Doc, with the president of the AFL-CIO, Pat Eiding. And, Pat, before uh, J. Doc and I jump in with a conversation question and before we move through the entire hour uh, of what will be... And it's strange to say, my friend, uh, but this will be the final President's Hour with Pat Eiding as the president of the AFL-CIL. Geez, final is so final, isn't it? (laughs) It is. Oh, it's the final, but it's the beginning of another chapter. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff, J-Dog. So, yeah, you know, it's it's an odd odd thing for me because... uh, as I say, I guess jokingly, but maybe it's more real than not, that I've been doing this longer than dirt's been around. But, uh, uh, you know, my, my, my long-term uh, position at Local 14, it was great and now. But uh, before we go into uh, my last show being the last show, there's a lot still going on. And, and uh, you know, this is, this is a, a time of, uh, in most cases, celebration and religion and, and uh uh, other events that are going on for various holidays. And so uh, it's a good time, but we can never allow ourselves to take, and I think that's just the way it is when you take a position as a labor leader. You can never allow yourself so much uh, nice time that you forget that things are going around, happening every day all around you, and you have people getting hurt on jobs uh, still every day. I mean, not the least, it's only been a short time ago that the two cement finishers on the bridge, got killed in, I think, in their mid fifties. And you know, uh, as we always say, we want to make sure the folks go home the way they left the house in the morning, in the same shape, physical shape, mental shape. And so these things come along, and probably more times than not, uh, folks are hurt every day out there, especially where it's not recorded because they don't have the benefit of a collective bargaining agreement. And uh, and so uh, you know, we we honor those folks every year in, in around April with our memorial workers memorial day but when it pops up like that it's just stunning and 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 uh, you know those those two gentlemen went to work uh, uh, coming home they're going to get ready for the big holidays like everybody else and they're not now and so uh, of course typically with labor i know that joni who does joni and, and, and nicole who do the working families uh, uh things for working families at christmas time and they, they adopt a family and those two families will certainly get some help for the holidays uh, and I know it'll be personally involved by Joni and Nicole that when they shop, it'll be for what the family could need. But it's just a short little fix. Uh, I'm sure they have benefits from their local union because they had the benefit of being a member of a local union and having a collective bargain. But uh, none of it can fix what's going to go through that family's heart and mind, you know, in the next couple of days while we're maybe having a cup of eggnog or something like that. So. So, but having said that, you know, the world still turns and, you know, I I was just, I just, 
uh, earlier this week I was at a graduate Philadelphia uh, meeting, which I'm the chair of and will probably remain the chair of for a while. Uh, it's been around for a long time. It was to help uh, we commonly call comebackers. Uh, back when it was initiated originally about 17 years ago, I, time will go by, but uh, there was an economy crunch, and a lot of folks who had a year or two or three years of college but had a steady job and never figured they were going to need any more than that and all of a sudden found themselves out of work, and we found a way to guide them back to college to get their degree and then reach out to another job somewhere. So, I mean, a lot of those folks didn't even remember how to do a resume or an application. And, you know, Graduate Philadelphia was put together then. Now we have Graduate Philadelphia that's expanded into the the needs a little bit longer and more in this great city that has so many needs with the folks that are out of work. I mean, we hear 3% or something nationally, and it all sounds great. But you got to come back to Philadelphia and, uh, you know, the harsh numbers here with folks who left high school without a without a high school d- diploma, probably that's more like 25 or 30% unemployment. Folks who, who left high school and didn't get as much out as they could have with their math and reading, that might be 12% unemployment. So uh, there's a lot of needs, and there's a, there's a lot of needs in the schools themselves. Uh, you know, at the meeting I attended, at this particular meeting, I talked to a lot of folks who run a cor- corporation on asking them to think about pushing down into the high school level, not just the college level, to make sure these kids have an idea that there's some way out there that they can maybe pay attention so they can get out there and, and get a, a better feel. So there are some things. You know, uh, we look at the construction industry. If you're around town, there's, there's cranes all over the place. But as will happen when this economy crunch comes and, the, you know, the interest rates are going up, what we'll have now is we'll have people, developers, backing off some of their projects, you know, and I know through the great leadership of Ryan Boyer at the Philadelphia Building Trades, he's already thinking and bringing to the table with our board, what can we do about that? Well, how can we help make sure that, uh, you know, Brown developer, whoever that may be, doesn't, uh, you know, uh, put a whole big high rise on, on, on a shelf because the interest rates are going to be so high. So maybe we can do something. Quite a, year, a few years ago under Pat Gillespie's leadership, we had a real estate fund uh, that we could... Uh, on a certain level, we could prompt jobs, uh, especially in the counties where uh, traditionally they were folks who were doing jobs without the benefit of collective bargaining. We were able to turn them around because we invested to those jobs. We were able to make those union jobs. And uh, that can happen again through leadership that Ryan's talking about. So, you know, we're, we're really optimistic about some of those things. And, of course, uh, we just had some great elections. You know, we look at it here in Pennsylvania like we did good. Um, I don't know how we could have not did, did as good as we did, considering who these two folks, the governor and the uh, senator, were running against. But you know, it could have been a tragedy. And you know, if the uh, if the person who was running as a Republican had gotten the governorship here, uh, he would have done away with collective bargaining. He would have done away. He would have had a right to work state, and and not in a course of time immediately. So, uh, and of course, some of the things he's did with people's rights to vote and and those things. So. We have a great opportunity now, especially with the with the elected governor, and you know we're really really happy about the Senate because that puts somebody else in uh, President Biden, who's the most uh, I think the most union friendly president. Not to take anything away from Obama, who was great, but this guy he makes no bones about it. He he walks the street with union members all the time. So there's a lot of good, but there's an awful lot of stuff ahead of us that's going to take some work. Well, I'll tell you. 
you know, by the way, Joe Krause, does that sound like somebody who's retiring on the 31st? Somebody who's... who's I, think your word, I think your word was correct. The beginning. It's the beginning. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll tell you what, so you opened the show and you, you said, welcome to another, uh, you know, you know, version of the show. This is anything but another version of the uh, uh, labor show with Jay Dot and Krause. Um, we have so much to talk about. Okay. And, uh, you know, we, you know, we talk about the, we talk about the, the Philadelphia region being the number one union region in, in, in the, in the uh, country. And that's because of our leadership. We sleep well at night, okay, because Pat Iding's at the, at, at the helm here in Philadelphia. Okay, Ryan Boyer at the Building Trades. Um, that's why we sleep well at night, because we know we're in good hands. Um, and so uh, when I listen to Pat talk, he's just concerned now. One of the things we've talked about a lot is the fact that being a labor leader is certainly not a job. It's 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 who you are as a person, okay? And, uh, you know, we have a lot to talk about today, but, um, and all the issues that, that Pat talks about, the, the, you know, the individuals going to work every, every, every day and not coming home, being, you know, being safe on the job. Obviously, uh, the landscape of, of what's to come with the economy and obviously the political landscape, um, you know, those are the result of, uh, you know, and, and the programs that we have are, are the result of a lot of great leadership. And so it's going to be uh, a, a great show. Um, and I am absolutely proud and honored to be here um, for it's maybe Pat's final final show as, as the as the president of the Philadelphia Council AFL-CIO. But, you know, as well as I, this show is here because of Pat Iding. Um, but it's just the beginning. Of, of a whole new era. All right, good stuff. As we get to our first commercial break, and then on the other side of the break, uh, we'll begin our conversation with the president of the AFL-CIO, Pat Eiding. Uh, you can argue, uh, and probably argue correctly, uh, that his reach is not only in Philadelphia, in Pennsylvania, it's not only in regional, it's not nationally, but also internationally. Some of the things that he has done uh, throughout his tenure um, have ramifications far across the world. And far beyond uh, those with just a collective bargaining agreement. Well said. We'll get to a commercial break. Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by IBEW Local 98, UFCW Local 1776, Sheet Metal Workers Local 19, and the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, DC 21. Today's program has been pre recorded. And welcome back, everyone, to the Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause, a very special edition of the Labor Show, the President's Hour with Pat Eiding, uh, President of the AFL-CIO. One programming reminder for our listening audience, one week from today, um, Christmas weekend, uh, there will be no Labor Show as the station here, Talk Radio 1210. WPHT celebrates with holiday music and festive uh, activities uh, across the dial for 24 hours. Jay Duck, over to you. Yeah, so, um, you know, like we, we, we talked about, this is a, a, a big show for us all. Pat, um, obviously, when you came in uh, as president of the AFL-CIO, it was tumultuous time, lots, uh, you know, in, in flux uh, around our union community. Um and then if, if, if anybody was to walk in here, not much long after, but, you know, even in the last 10, 
uh, 15 years, you know, places uh, such a hub for our labor community. Talk about um, the things that you're most proud of. Wow. Well, there's there's an awful lot of them. I have to tell you, Absolutely. I uh, I don't know if it's uh, it's uh, you know self admiring or anything like that, but being proud of of some of the things that we've accomplished uh, in my home local, quite honestly, with the local 14. Uh, Interesting enough, uh, folks who are still around, I have some great friends there, uh, will remember that I was a hard-charging job foreman in my younger days. Uh, and my good friend Mike Burns, who's still the administrator of Local 14, used to tell folks when we'd be on the road that, you know, my guy, they, they voted for my guy, so they wouldn't have to work for him, you know? <laughs> uh, the, the other comment he used to make was that, yeah, it, you know, the members don't ask him a question. He asks it so he can answer it. All, and, I, and I have to tell you, I always felt that the best place for members to find out what was going on was at the union meetings. And so uh, I don't know that Mike was far wrong about me asking the questions and didn't answer it. I also tried to answer the questions I thought were going to be there. But, but more than anything, I, I, you know, it was kind of crazy because, I, uh, again, I was a hard charger. And, and God bless my, my two brothers who were insulators also, uh, my older brother Bud and I, we were always going to be in business. We were going to start our own business. And then the next thing you know, somebody at the union hall said something that I didn't agree with. And I questioned. And the next thing you know, I'm on the executive board. And the next thing you know, you know. Uh, and then as a as a, an early part, I became went to St. John's uh, the Church uh, to, to learn to be a treasurer of the credit union when we first started. And uh, I was with the folks when they started the credit union. So... You know, going back in Local 14, I, I was, um, well, first of all, my, my brother would say that the only time you should miss a union meeting is if you're laying in bed dying or almost dead. So, right. so he, he, he instilled in me that that's, that was the place to go. And, you know, a lot of folks have meetings on jobs and stuff like that. But when the organization is running in the way it should be, come to the meeting and, you know, learn. So we were fortunate. And I don't know if I should be proud of this. But uh, Local 14 went out on strike for 19 weeks. And we, we weren't looking for a lot of money or a lot of deals. We were looking for wording in the collective bargaining agreement that said, if you sign with Local 14 as an insulating contractor, your brother, your mother, your father, your sister, nobody could have an, a, a competing company doing insulation work non-union yep. because in the south they were doing that and it came here right in our own area coming up from delaware into to uh, marcus hook we had a refinery down there that we did all the work for many many years we had a, an insulating contractor who all of a sudden had a cousin go into business come in non-union and there's a lot of gory details that who it's the good guys and all double-breasted so. yeah they're, 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 i don't know we're allowed to say that on radio but that's what it was so right. So the truth of the day is we went out on strike for this wording, and it became a national issue where the Labor Board had to decide whether uh, there was a negotiable item. And so after somewhere around 12 weeks, it was very, very hard. I mean, seeing the members out of work, and we didn't have a fund or anything for members. Uh, and I don't even remember back then whether the, the, the law allowed you to collect unemployment. But when it got close, to, and, and the, the employer and, and the union were dancing back and forth because we had to wait for this decision. And so 12 weeks were out. And, you know, uh, you know, Bill Rothermel, God bless him, was my great sidekick at the time as business agent. Mike Burns, who now is the minister, was the president. We met on a Saturday and said, Let, let's go back. Because they were, employers were writing letters to the wives at home saying, there's no money. They're keeping you out on strike. So I guess my two of my proudest moments was one, 
we held a secret ballot vote, and there was one no vote, or, or only one no vote, one yes vote to go back to work, however you want to phrase it. Yeah. But it was almost unanimous after 12 weeks to stay out for this issue. 19 weeks, when we fi- by the time we finally, uh, and, and I have to tell you, people like Philadelphia Electric, because Limerick was being built, they were joining the employers against us. I mean, we had big times against us. They were telling all the, we're subcontractors, telling all the contractors that we would do the business for, the mechanicals, not to do anything, give us anything. Don't sign anybody. It was, it was a big issue. So 19 weeks, the labor board decided in our favor. And, of course, obviously, we went back to work. And, but at the time, from the 12 weeks, this is how God works in funny ways. Nobody working from 12 weeks on, small contractors start to sign up. And by the way, I, I would never do retroactive. I thought, you either sign for what we're asking or why are we doing this? So they signed. Some of the contracts got to be big overnight. We had folks working out of town, working overtime. It was hard for them to leave their job to come back. So as I say, God works in funny ways. So that was a proud moment because we stood together so well. And I think that took the union and it took the employers and put us in a whole different position because whenever we talked about at a trade board meeting with the employers, we talked about the trade. We talked about the industry. And then we would discuss a collective bargain, what we're going to do, and then we go forward again. Never, in my time, never had another strike. And I was there for 25 years and, you know, as business manager. So that, that's kind of a proud moment. And I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting because, it, and I, talking to Krause on um, the double-breasted thing, some, some contractors will, 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 will attempt to work, and these are union signatory contractors, union in the city, and, in the, and, the, and then outside the city, they're working non-union. Um, my father said something to me, and this, this statement told me more about him. I'll never forget it as long as I live on this topic. He called me up and I had a hospitality business in, 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 in Center City for a, quite a bit. The, the landlord's attorney represented a real estate company. And my dad called me up and he said, he never did it before or since. And he said, listen, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a, a, a meeting with that individual person um, because they, had a, they, they, did, they did contractor work as well. And he said to me, I just can't figure out why they work union in the city and, and, and non-union in, in the suburbs. My immediate answer was, well, it's, they're, they're, they're going non-union in the, in the suburbs because obviously it's cheaper labor. But that's not what my dad meant. My dad meant, obviously, with our quality workers, with our safety record, with all those things, he felt like we could make them more money. And I knew he meant it. You know, and it was one of the most emotional moments because I knew, and, and, and Pat, uh, you know, that, that's, that's part of the, the benefit to those contractors, the trained labor that they get. You know, you, you work out of town, you work in the suburbs, non-union. Well, I guess, I guess you can, the bid will be lower because you're paying your people peanuts. But at the same time, somebody gets injured on that job. Okay, insurance rates go up, number one, and you don't have, and you don't have a, a workforce you could actually... So you were actually, in a sense, also benefiting those contractors. In other words, you know, it's it's not just about what it looks like on the bid. It's every, all all that they're getting, and it's solidifying the union contractors. And listen, I, we had some of those. We, one of the biggest contracts we had, and I won't mention names, but one of the the lead people in that company went down south to to do business down south where it was non-union. He couldn't wait to get back up here. Absolutely, he couldn't wait to get back up here. And to this day, when he's in town. 
we have a cup of coffee. Well, it might be more than a cup of coffee. Yeah. But, but we did. But, but, and that's, and that's, listen, I, I, I have a, a contractor who's, who, who's in Maine who, when he retired from his business, sold his business, he, he started painting. And last year, him and his wife drove down from Maine to, to see Liz and I and brought us a painting and drove back the next day. And that's just, and we fought. Listen, we fought over the things you fight over. But we didn't fight every day because we were trying to make the industry better. Better for them, better for us. And so, you, and listen, this, when you really think about it, if you don't have a good contractor, you don't have a good job. Then you don't, the union's not going to matter if you don't have a job. And, you know, not to belabor that, but in Washington, D.C., unfortunately, at the time, on one side of the street would be a company doing a job union, the same company with a different name doing, across the street doing a job non-union. And so it destroyed the industry. And, you know, if you look at the Philadelphia building trades, not because of Pat Idy and the, and the insulators, but if you look at the Philadelphia building trades, when you come together like we have, we have, and I don't mind saying this publicly, we have the strongest building construction trades council in the country. And there's a lot of big cities. And, you know, I know friends in Chicago and all, but year to year, I mean, during the pandemic, you know, under the leadership of the building trades, taking two weeks off till they, they reorganized what they were going to do to make the job safe, they came back and they worked through the whole thing and, and, and did it safely. You know, it, it, it's just being a part of it and being a part of the industry because that's where you work, it's all just as valuable, you know. So, so that is the proudest moment. In fact, I'll finish it up and tell you that the young man at, at uh, Penn, going to the University of Penn, got wind of what was going on. He wrote a letter called the Kitchen Letter. And it, just because of the nature of what happened, it was slanted more towards us than it was the employer. Uh, in fact, the, the employers got aggravated at first, but it was a kid going to the University of Penn. He, he had no, he had no you know, money in the game or anything. So that kitchen letter is something I probably will take it with me when I go. But let me give you two. It was the members. It wasn't Pat Iron. It was the members that stayed together. Go ahead, Joe. Let me give you the last, no, no worries. So let me give you the last two minutes of this break before we go to a break because we're going to bounce around a little bit um, visiting with the president of the AFL-CIO, Pat Iding. This is the president's hour uh, on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Um, two minutes, Pat. So you don't have to, you don't have to go long because we're up against the break. Um, but I want to ask you about your vision or your thought of the labor movement today. Where is it? It's opportune-wise. It's probably in a better, a better point in time than I've seen it in most of my career, except the very early days of my career. Because if you look at the national opinion, 70% of the people talk to think unions are a good thing and people should have the right to have a union and collect a bargaining agreement. So in that, in that frame of mind, uh, after this election, because we're able to give the, the, our great president some support in Washington, I was concerned that all his good ideas couldn't go anywhere. Uh, aside from the fact that I mentioned earlier about interest rates and those things, we don't know where that's going to go. But if you look at what, I mean, first of all, he's the first president who said it all those years since, since Roosevelt who put money in infrastructure put these jobs out. And folks don't realize it's not just our good guys and girls building the roads. It's the, it's the house or the building they're going to put near that road. If you think about, for example, Limerick, when Limerick was being built, nothing around Limerick was there but a farm. Farm here, farm. You drove to Limerick on the old 422 before the highway was built. If you took a picture of the, of the water towers, and by the way, they're not nuclear towers, they're water towers that you see. What you would see is a field full of cows and then this big structure in the background. 
If you go there today, first of all, there's an outlet right there. There's millions of homes all around the, the powerhouse. And, you know, this is forethinking, you know, this is stuff. So, so where the labor movement is today, it's going to be around the economy and, and what's happening. And we have to make sure that the infrastructure keeps growing. But I think the opportunities there, if you look at the Starbucks and what's going there as far as people wanting representation, I think the labor movement has an opportunity right now that they haven't had in a long time. And with good young leadership going in the right direction to organize for the right reasons, I think it's in a good place. But I have to caution, if we sit back and want somebody else to fix it for us, whether it's a politician or somebody else, then we can dig ourselves a big hole. And my friends in New York have that hole. Uh, unfortunately, they, they have been beat up quite a bit because they were backing up rather than going forward. So I think if the labor movement thinks, you know, thinks ahead and thinks about what can be, and gets involved with the politics and the city administration to make sure that we do things not only for folks who have a collective bargaining, for other folks, I think you'll see the labor movement grow in Philadelphia and around the country. I really do. This is the President's Hour with the President of the AFL-CIO, Pat Eiding. Back in a moment. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. This edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Sprinkler Fitters Local 692, Laborers District Council, Steam Fitters Local 420, and the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 542. Today's program has been pre-recorded. And back here on The Labor Show with Jadock and Krause, we thank everybody for tuning in on this holiday weekend leading into what is the end of the year, 2022. Uh, amazing to be able to say that. So many years have passed. So many things have been done, Doc, by Pat Hiding, president of the AFL-CIO. We'll never cover them all uh, in this show, but it's great to have words of wisdom from we, the president. We, we, we likely couldn't ca- cover them in, in, in a series. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. One of the Goals and Netflix series. With that, Pat that, that's right. That probably just means I'm old. I yeah, don't know man, no. A lot of work there, man. A lot of shoe leather. Good stuff. Let me let me say this. Um, the goal of anybody uh, who takes over an organization uh, is to leave it better than he found it. Okay. And what I when I think about Pat, um, you know, your strengths. Okay. Uh, I I think you know we we're dealing with public unions, private unions, building trade unions who have jurisdictional issues sometimes when they run into different things. I can't remember labor harmony ever being better. Even the Philadelphia building trades, um, you know, how everybody gets along. Yeah, you're going to run into disputes and all those things. But my point is, um, and then politically speaking, what Richie Laser, when you, so, so Richie now obviously is head of the parking authority and we, we you know, we appreciate everything, his, his commitment to, to labor, uh, as the, um, you know, the, the deputy mayor of labor, uh, under, under Jim Kenny. But you know, one of the things Richie says when you talk to him is how, how awesome Pat Iding is, um, juggling all those areas, Pat, the public unions, the private unions, politics, business with, with the big projects coming into, into town, how important, how important are those areas in regards to where you, you know, what your job and, and making things work, because that to me is, uh, you know, the genius of Pat Iding uh, amongst working hard and, and having a vision. Uh, talk about that, uh, if you would. Coming from Richie Laser, I have to tell you, that's, that's really a, a, a tremendous compliment because he has done such a great job. I wish him well where he is now, but he's done a great job 
doing exactly what he is accusing me of being able to bring things together. He he has handled some of the worst labor situations in such a quiet, even manner that people didn't realize how serious they were. You know, we did a great job with the art museum with those young folks who wanted to, who created a union and wanted to have a collective bargaining agreement. But in the background was Richie Laser. You know, uh, well, I can go down chapter and verse. You know, the the you know, listen, the past administration, the public workers went five years without a contract. That would have never happened under Richie Laser. I mean, the contracts were dealt with. They were dealt with fair on both sides, and they were completed in a timely fashion. Uh, we've had things come up that you wouldn't even think Richie would know who to call about. So so I had to, I had to give him that kudos because I think, and 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 I'm, I'm not taking credit for it, but he, the only thing I ever, Jim, Jim Kenny, when he asked me what I wanted, the only thing I told him I wanted, I wanted a deputy mayor for labor because we had that back in the day when when uh, uh, Rendell was in, and uh, it worked. It worked well, and we didn't have it, and we had too many fights. And so that credit to Richie, he was able to do that job and do it well, and, and no disrespect to anybody who's going to finish up with with this mayor, but, uh, you know, it's going to be awful hard to match the things that he's done. So, so getting back to your question to me, that quite honestly was the biggest challenge coming from the building trades and local 14 to hear, because I know some folks thought that it was nothing but a building takeover, building right, trades right, takeover. Right. Um, you know, when, when folks came to me about the job and, and not, I'm not saying this to, uh, you know, put any, bad names on people or anything like that. But the, the council, quite honestly, was dead. Uh, we literally had to start all over by borrowing money. There was no money, and we closed the doors, started. And uh, God bless Stella Clemens, who works for me. I gave her two weeks temporary work. <laughs> 20 years later, I keep reminding her, you're only she's temporary. Sure temporary. She's only temporary. And what a great, loyal you know, person that she is. You know? and, and all the staff that have come through here. But, but to come through, I have to, I have to give credit to a guy named Jim Martin who was with Palm Biltright at the time, uh, where Tony Wigglesworth now is. is uh, he was retired at the time, picked up the phone, called me, said, listen, uh, I'm willing to help. I just volunteered to help if you want some help. Because the concern Pat Eiding had at that time was, I didn't want to get this job and then sit at a desk waiting for somebody to call me. Because I didn't think that's what the job was. And so um, my my effort was to have, when when they interviewed me at the time, what are you looking to do with the council? And I said to have everybody belong to the council. And so from there, uh, I tried as much as I could to meet with different unions to find out more about them. Because you live, I lived in a, you know, a, a clustered parochial world in the building trades. We, we think a little bit right of center politically. There's a lot of things different. Uh, and we're very proactive in both, you know, vocally and physically at times. Sure. Uh, you know, I don't know how physical it would be, but vocally. But anyway, uh, that was a challenge here. And, and I have to tell you, I went around, there were a couple of weeks before I actually got elected to the job, and I went around to different people and tried to convey to them, listen, I'm, I'm here to hear your story. I want to know how you work. What does your union do is what I want to hear. So what I said that, and some of the papers are still, my, my daughter's great at, uh, uh, besides doing great things for her families and things, she also is great at... Uh, keeping stuff for that. And there's a, there's a piece of the newspaper in there that I was going to bring the unions together. And, and you know, a little bit of pride in the fact that all the building trades are back here, that at the time, quite honestly, for whatever the differences, they weren't. Uh, we have Teamsters here. There were some, some weren't. Uh, 
you know, the uh, the auto workers almost never belong to a labor council. They belong to the state. The respect, but the respect yeah. that everybody has for you, Pat, um, that's so important. And having had that, that you know, obviously, but you that's have to ex- build it, Joe. I mean, they, they they don't see it right away until you actually do something. No, you know? no, no question about it. You mentioned Jim Martin. Um, who are your biggest influencers? And when you think of throughout your career, who were you know who were individuals that impacted you? Not, not maybe in labor and, and and outside of labor. Well, I think first of all, I have to say my brother, because uh, I always thought he should have had a job and I should have been out working with my tools because that's how much respect I had. That he was a union person through and through. He might have. He might have been too tied into principle to get elected because if you stay on principle too much, you know, you, you got to be able to balance. Right, right, right. You got to do and, it. Right. And so, you know, this is this is not the right way to say this because I don't mean it to mean anybody. But when you get done talking to people, you can't you can't say you agree to everybody, but you have to send the comfort level away with the person that you understand. And then then you can work from there. So when you you know, when you finally get into it for a while and you're here for a long time, when the phone calls come, you know who the people are. So you have a, a different way for everybody because, you know, it's important to you deal with people. You're not dealing with numbers and you're not dealing with manufacturing. You deal with people, both the people you're going to be talking to. You know, some folks will say, you know, well, why you spread yourself out so many, I'm on so many nonprofit boards. And it's the people you meet. And then, then that value to those folks you meet might be more valuable than being a friend of the mayor, because the, the people you're meeting are the, are the Philadelphia business world. They're the Philadelphia. They make they live and breathe Philadelphia. Jerry Sweeney, for example. Jerry Sweeney is a Brandywine realty. is is one of the biggest guys around, right? He cares about Philadelphia, and I. So having a relationship with a guy like that gives me another idea of how I can help my members. So, you know, maybe because I understand how his business works, if somebody calls me with an issue, I can approach it in a different way. So I guess that's one of the things that, you, you know, it's really, it's really a transition that I, I guess I should be proud of it because I've had an awful lot of people here kind of indicate they're going to miss me and some even, some even to the point don't leave, you know. And, and I know I'm being, you know, my position is going to be held by a bright young man, so that part who, of it's who, going to who, who was at your right hand yes. and, and, and who, who got the opportunity to watch. Uh, Danny Bowder's a good man, and we're all in support of Danny. And, and by the way, you know, this platform, because you made it possible, and we talked about that when we talked about uh, Pat Gillespie, the two he has made this platform possible. Of course, this platform well, he, now transforms. It was the hand. other one I wanted to mention, because Pat and I didn't come together. I was, I was secretary of the building trades when Pat got elected. There were folks out there from the mechanical side of the world who asked me to run against Pat Gillespie. And I, at the time, didn't want to have that job with the building trades, even if I was fortunate enough to win it, because I didn't agree with a lot of the leadership at the time as far as certain things. So, uh, Pat Gillespie had, Pat Gillespie took the building trades a whole nother level. He took us into boards and places that we would never think. He put us at the table rather than banging on the doors later. So, he's certainly in that, in that area of, of looking up to. We'll pick up that conversation on the other side of the break. We're rolling along quickly today. This is the President's Hour with the President of the AFL-CIO, Pat Eiding.
Back in a moment. Tonight's edition of The Labor Show is sponsored in part by Ironworkers Local 401, Boilermakers Local 13, Plumbers Local 690, Roofers Local 30, and IBEW Local 98. Choose a Local 98 contractor. Today's program has been pre-recorded. And back here on The Labor Show with J-Doc and Krause, this is our President's Hour with the president of the AFL-CIO, Pat Eiding. I still get to say that here in December of 2022. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. And we're talking about uh, people who have impacted Pat's career. Um, you know, as uh, you know, as uh, we talked about, um, you know, Local 14 and, and, and those influences. And, and, and we're talking about as the president of the AFL-CIO, Pat Gillespie, uh, and a number of other individuals. Um, Pat, talk about... Um, we, you know, some of your go-to people in, 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 in the fact that, you, that, you know, um, you know, that, that you have been impacted by along with Pat Gillespie, but in the, in, in the picture, maybe it's politically, maybe, maybe it's, um, you know, other building trades people, maybe it's non-building trades people. You spoke at the Wendell Young, the third uh, induction recently, um, uh, anybody who, uh, and there's so many, there's no chance you could possibly bring them out, but a couple that, that might come to mind. Well, I had the fortune, uh, very fortunate. First of all, I, I want to th- finish the thought with Pat because, sure. as I said, Pat and I, Pat got elected. You know, I, I didn't know him from Adam. But, you know, there's an old saying that relates back to the Army days, you know, until you spend some time in the trenches, you don't know somebody. So, Pat and I did some funny and crazy things through the through the many years that we worked together. And so uh, even though we didn't know each other that well, we got to know each other real well in many, many interesting ways. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Pat was a certain personality and I was a different personality. So every once in a while I'd have to tap Pat on the shins when he was going too strong with, you know, with the, say, the president of Beaver, Beaver College, which is what it was at the time. So I think that the, the thing, the impact with Pat... It's not just two people that knew each, met each other. It's two people that work together in a lot of areas that folks will never know, and some areas that people will look back at and remember. Uh, in fact, somebody made the statement that uh, it was always Pat and Pat. Right. So, so getting back to you know, uh, there, there there's a lot of folks, and, and as I said, I was fortunate enough to come into the building trades uh, when there were still a lot of folks who are well-known in the history of the building trades. John McCullough, Tom McGran was the head of the building trades at the time. Uh, there, you know, there, were, there were names in, in the building trades industry that I was fortunate enough to go through and know. Uh, and I knew, like, the, the Tom Dugans and the, the, the Jim O'Neills. And then, but some of the younger groups, like, uh, believe it or not, Ed, Eddie Coriel and, and Pat Eiding and, and Marty Madaloni and... Uh, uh, Geez, Joe's last name, it'll come to me in a minute from 98. But we made a whole different movement. We just said, when folks would say you can't do it, I said, well, why not? So, uh, you know, listen, we, with Marty Mantelloni and I, and, uh, and, I th- and I think the third party, but we put a picket line up against the refinery when we were told you can't do that. Well, it wasn't long after that, we had a picket line of two refineries and Allied Chemical all on the same day. And that was the mass of work, work people working together. So that solidarity. That's, uh, yeah, exactly. And then Marty, Marty, to this day, we don't see each other often. We, we maybe more now than if I have more time, but it's more me than him. But he went on to be the national president of the UA, which is no, that's not small potatoes. That's a big deal. And he never forgot our relationship here. And some of the things that we worked together with local 14 and 420, um, 
he he carried that on to the national level, which was support. You know, I mean, uh, some folks don't forget. You, you know, we we were fortunate when we finally got over that long strike. We had a lot of work at Limerick. We needed a lot of people. We were able to help a lot of trades that were didn't have it here. And you know, I won't name names, but many of the leadership at different unions were folks who worked as insulators when we had it to do. And so you you, you do that because it's the right thing to do, and because you can help somebody. But I've had. I mean, I've had years later where I called a plumber for something down the shore. I didn't remember his name. And he told me his name. He said, don't you remember me? I said, no. He said, you saved my house. Anything you want, I'll do for you. I said, I don't want anything for nothing. I just need a plumber, you know. But that's, 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 that's I guess, consistency. There's a lot of leaders that I worked with that respect. You know, Jimmy Williams, retired Jimmy Williams. Sure. He, and his heir apparent, not heir apparent, his son is the leader of the painters. In, in certain ways, you know, I... I knew his brother Ralph. For the, Ralphie, uh, how I got to be secretary of the building trades. Ralphie called me up and said, "I need you to be secretary treasurer." I said, "Geez, I don't, I, you know, I don't have the time. I'm too busy." He said, "I'll see you here Monday," you know. And that's so that you go uh-huh. from that to now that everybody everybody knows the rules and how to stand up in parliamentary procedure. But being fortunate enough to come through that and knowing that those and times. And then, you know, through some hard times and good times, both with Local 14 and here, uh, you know, you start to respect people for who they are and what they are, but there's certain ones that will hang in your head. And, and uh, uh, the guy who was the national president of the Insulators, Andy Hoss, uh, we became friends so much, so much so that people thought we were related. But we just thought the same. It wasn't, you know, so he's a leader that, I didn't even know or think much of until I got the job as the business manager local. Well, you put yourself in there. Now you're in that, those yeah, shoes. Exactly. and, and you know? you, Yeah, no question about so, it. I, you know, we talked about this earlier. It's, it's important for the leadership, especially in the building trades, to, when they get elected, build their own job before they're asking for the building trades or anybody else to, to fix something for them. It's all right because that's what we're all here for. But that that person has to build his own Foundation, as we say, the construction field. Um, Pat, how much time do we have, Joe? Okay, so um, five we're, minutes. We're going to take this last five minutes to um, make an announcement. Okay, and uh, n- not long ago, we launched the Legends of Labor Hall of Fame, and uh, we had been thinking about it. Uh, you know, as the you know part of the 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 the, the media. The on, you know, the on-air media, the broadcast media that that is, uh, you know, that that hosts the labor shows and, and all those things, and we couldn't think of a, a a better opportunity right now in the last five minutes to announce that, and this is going to be a unique situation. We're going to celebrate on different dates, but we want to announce that the that that the the next two honorees of the Legends of Labor Hall of Fame are. Pat Eiding and Pat Gillespie, and you talk about Pat and Pat, um, and we created the Legends of Labor Hall of Fame because uh, we, we, we are, are not only educating our listeners and the, and the general public and our members, but the next generation of labor leaders, because we're only as good as our labor leadership, and uh, part of the broadcast and we're going to actually do them on different um we're going to honor you both but we're going to you know there's just not enough time in one night or two or three or four or five but we couldn't be more proud to bring the pat and pat into the legends of labor hall of fame um and we want to thank you for everything um that you've done for laying that laying out the future 
um, uh, you know, in, in Philadelphia and our region. Um, and for everything that you've done and everything that your work will continue to do uh, in perpetuity. So we want to we want to thank you, welcome you um, and congratulate you uh, and, and wish you absolutely the best um, in, in, in your future endeavor. You know, we are always here for you. So we love you, Pat. Joe, I listen, I, 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 I can only say how honored I would be to have something like that happen. But I have to say. It has to be Pat Gillespie, then Pat Eide. That it, Please, it has to be that way because that's the way I look at it. Well, you're going to be, uh, Pat's going to be in both of them, obviously. And um, we, you know, we'll, we'll deal with the logistics, but we love you. And, and we, you know, we can't think of a more appropriate honor for both Pat and Pat. Well, that's a little scary because so far you've done two that are not here anymore. Right. Sam Staten Sr. and Wendell Young III. So when we talk about the legends of Labor Hall of Fame, we could almost stop right right after this show and say, you know, everybody else has got the, the shoes are too big to fill. You know, in all, in all the respect to Pat's family, because, you know, we're everybody, I think, is, is still suffering the pain because we certainly didn't expect him to go at this time. We know everybody goes, and but we didn't expect him to go at this time. And... and uh, uh, it's it's kind of odd to to be a Hall of Fame, I, I, unlike with football and baseball, they they do it because that's what they do. But you know, just being being able, if I'm still there at the time, to put the show on, to be able to do it. But Pat has to be first because there's there it's and and I use this term every day of the week. It's all about respect. You have to respect each other, even if you don't like somebody, you got to respect them, uh, unless they don't show you the respect back, and sure. then you have that opportunity Absolutely. at that time. But that, uh, you know, I watched, and I won't say too many things bad about the past, but I watched Gillespie take this thing to a whole, I, I said it a minute ago, a whole other level. And if you had the benefit uh, to be able to honor Pat by being at his service and see who was there to respect Pat Gillespie in every walk and every phase of the living life of Philadelphia was there. And from presidents of universities to governors and mayors and, you know, us working people, everybody came out because he touched that many people. I mean, you know, listen, there wouldn't be a convention center if it wasn't for Fred DeBona and Pat Gillespie. And you take two worlds that were so separate at the time, by the time they got done driving back and forth, and maybe I'm giving away the story too much for his honor, but... But that's what he did for the building trades. So, uh, you know, and, and working with him as a partner more than he's the boss, I'm the boss. It was, uh, it was, it was something. So, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, you get, you still get a little bit emotional because we didn't expect him to go that soon. We're going to, um, you know, so, so our tribute to, to Pat Gillespie will be sometime in January. It's going to be an amazing thing. And, um, you know, 2022, just the year I'll never forget. Absolutely. The Labor Show with Jay Doc and Krause. The President's Hour. The President of the AFL-CIL, Pat Eiding, putting an exclamation point on an incredible career. Thanks. See you next time, everybody. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.